And now, Manufacturing Matters with your host, Cliff Waldman. Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Manufacturing Matters. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host for this show, one of many on Manufacturing Talk Radio. This is the show where we look at U.S. manufacturing and, indeed, global manufacturing through both a telescope and a microscope. We look at the big headlines of the day, both economic and political. They matter a great deal to U.S. manufacturing performance. But at this time of dramatic change, we have to go much deeper. We have to look at the scientific evolution in manufacturing, the dramatically different way that we produce goods in the United States and around the world that is being driven by remarkable, hitherto unthought thought of, technological change. While that technological change is going on, we have geopolitical change. Every day in the news we hear about trade tensions, trade realignments. They're going to lead to supply chain realignments. Together, those things are pushing manufacturing to a place that we don't have a full understanding yet. The key word on my show is new, new technology, new science, new global geopolitics, new trade arrangements, new economic thinking, and we are here to help our listening audience understand how this will lead to a new day in U.S. manufacturing. I've promised you throughout this first year of the show that we are going to have the best guests. And I'm keeping my promise today. We have with us a seasoned executive. And Dr. Susan Sweeney is with me to talk about one of the most complex issues in manufacturing brought about to some extent by the dramatic evolutions that we've seen in technology and geopolitics and realignments. And that is the, the interesting subject of people, of the workforce. It's a complex issue, and I would say from my decades of listening to the manufacturing world, it is probably highest on the list of the most talked about issues. Dr. Sweeney is a senior executive leader with extensive experience leading complex business teams in Europe, North America, and Asia. She is currently president of GGB, a material science company that invents and produces engineered products globally, and it, has, it is headquartered in, in Annecy, France. Is that the correct pronunciation, Susan? It is, Cliff. With over 35 years' experience in the field of manufacturing, Dr. Sweeney is able to quickly assess critical business functions and operations to achieve extraordinary results. She combines strategic vision, operational expertise, and technical curiosity to lead change and transform businesses across the globe. Her passion is unleashing, unleashing potential by connecting people and ideas and believes today's complex and quickly changing environment requires a different kind of leadership model, and we will certainly talk about that. She holds an, uh, Is that a doctorate in educa education, Susan? It is. In organizational leadership and innovation, as well, as well, she has an MBA with a focus on union relations, interesting time for that, and negotiations, and a BA in economics. She 
she has participated in IMD's Breakthrough Program for Senior Executives in Lausanne, Switzerland. She's also an adjunct professor at Wilmington University and Stockton University and an executive in residence at the McCall School of Business at Queen's University. Susan lives in Delaware with her husband and has two sons currently attending university. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Cliff. I'm glad to be here. As I said, I've been listening and talking to manufacturing executives for almost a couple of decades now. And if I had to make a list of the issues that I hear about at every lunch, at every conference, and every phone call, I'd really have to put, if not at the top, certainly in the top of the list of issues, would be workers, human capital concerns. So given that, and given the, the great interest that I know our listening audience must have with that, I'm going to start with the 30,000-foot question. Susan, do you agree that the U.S. workforce is unprepared for the needs of a 21st century manufacturing sector? Well, Cliff, that's a great question, and my simple answer would be yes. <laughs> There's definitely a gap in the workforce needs in our educational system. I'm not sure that we're preparing the workforce the way we should be. And, you know, the first basis of that is that our education system is based on an obsolete model. Students memorize and test for performance versus developing creative thinkers and problem solvers, which is really what we're going to need in this new world that's emerging. Um, our educational is, structure is slow to change, um, while the workforce has really been shifting and changing quite rapidly due to the geopolitical, the economic, and technical trends that you mentioned earlier. The second thing I would just point out is that classroom-based education system is really what we currently have versus I think we need something that's more experiential and practice-based. So if you look at other countries such as Germany, they have apprenticeship programs where you actually get to go and do and try. I would also say that there's some sort of an imbalance in the way that our current students head to the university where they study something that they're super interested in, but it doesn't necessarily match with the workforce needs. So when they graduate, it's sometimes difficult to find a job. Plus those most relevant skills that, that we see, at least in the businesses that I lead, are mostly taught on the job. And most of what is learned in school today will probably be obsolete within the next decade, if not the next four or five years. Let me ask specifically about your own company. What have, been, what have you found in recent years to be the key challenges for meeting the staffing needs of GGP? What, what I'm really asking specifically, what positions have you found to be the most difficult to fill? So probably engineers, and I realize that's a broad term, and we employ lots of different engineers, whether manufacturing engineers or chemical engineers or, you know, go into the specifics. So I'm just going to kind of group them as engineers. But finding good, talented engineers with soft skills, and by soft skills I mean they can relate to people as well as the technical questions or problems that they're trying to solve. The other thing would be um, diverse candidates. And we're very interested and having diversity in our workforce, we think the best ideas come from people with different points of view and different experiences. And while there are more diverse candidates entering into STEM studies, 
it's still it's still too low, frankly. Um, another area would be skilled trades, whether that's maintenance or machining, machine shop type skills. Those have become more and more difficult to find um, as less people go into vocational trades or areas where they actually use their hands and make things. Being a maker is not as interesting in our world sometimes as being a college graduate, and I think that's a bit of a problem. Uh, Recruitment itself is changing. Um, It's hard to find those experienced folks. Uh, They don't necessarily just come and fill out an application, so recruiters or headhunters are something that we really rely on. And even just the systems that are out there, whether it's, you know, using a LinkedIn, which is now quite popular uh, because you can get specific skills, geography, companies, et cetera, and the fact that unemployment is low. So it's hard to find people when most people have jobs. So that's like a combination of things that I think are um, probably they make up our staffing challenges, not just in the U.S., but across the globe. Now, let, let's let's bring at least some market economics into the conversation, and let me be a little bit of a devil's advocate for a second. Sure. Some would argue that the the manufacturing skills challenge that you just beautifully described is in part a wage issue. These people assert that if manufacturing companies would simply raise wages, then these, these stubborn vacancies would get filled. What's your response to this? Well, I think I would have to disagree. <laughs> I'm not convinced that that's really where the issue lies. I would say specifically um, the manufacturing jobs that, that we have are well-paying. I mean, in the tri-state area in which our U.S. Um, facilities lie, we're actually above the pay norm. So I, I'm not sure that's really the challenge. Um, it might be in some areas, but I really don't think that's the challenge, the, the bigger challenge that we have. Um, I think we have more opportunities for skill-based um, advancement. For instance, in our in our facilities, if you come in and you want to advance and learn more skills, you can earn more money. So it's not just a set rate and you're stuck there. It, you might be there if you're not willing to learn and grow and take on more, you know, responsibilities. But I really think part of the challenge is this reduction in vocational schools and trade schools and those those schools gave insight and training into opportunities in manufacturing. Most people don't really understand what's available in manufacturing unless they have a family member or someone that they know that is employed in that particular area. And I was one of those college graduates many years ago that chose to work in a manufacturing plant right out of college, and my friends thought I was crazy. I thought it was the best job out there, and I've obviously loved it ever since because I'm still working in that particular area. Technological change is one of the the driving themes of our show. So I'm going to ask you, it's been postulated that rapid and disruptive technological change um, has been playing a role in the manufacturing workforce story. Every time there's a a new technology implemented into the the production process, in effect, the labor force gets behind. So I'm going to ask you specifically – is technological change in general of the past three, four, five years forcing a, a rethink of your approach to the recruiting, training, and retaining of your workforce? Yeah, so there's a couple things in that question. So one is I do think that, you know, we are losing some jobs to automation. If a simple robot 
can do a repetitive manual job, I mean, yes, that is being that manual work is being replaced. Not just in manufacturing, you could say accounting, that's happening as well with some of the new AI tools that are out there. So I think for us, what we're looking for is we're looking for people that have a skill set where they really um, want to be creative. They want to solve problems. They've got a growth mindset. They, they're willing to um, develop their soft skills, really. That's really what's valued in addition to the technical skills and the, you know whether it's IT or controls, which those are some of the areas that I think there are a lot of opportunities in manufacturing. And it doesn't just have to be at the engineering level. It can also be with folks that are on the floor. So if you went back 15, 20 years, um, the way that the controls were functioning in machines were a lot different than they are now. And being able to grow and learn those skills as they change and having that ability and interest to do that and grow along with the changes that happen, you know, in, in that type of work is really important. Your company, GGB, has an impressive and interesting worldwide presence. So it allows me to ask what may seem like an obvious question. Are your recruiting challenges within the U.S. similar or very different to those outside of the U.S.? Well, I think the global presence that we have is pretty appealing to most candidates, right, regardless of their geography, North America, Europe, or Asia. And the basic things that we value in terms of the technical skills, the soft skills, frankly, the behaviors, those are pretty consistent across the globe. Um, Top talent is, is similar. We're looking for top talent, regardless of where they are geographically. Um, the appeal to the job opportunities is similar. I think there are some differences in some of the employment practices. Um, for instance, some of our locations in Europe have a longer um, notice of departure. So if we're trying to recruit someone and they work at another company, it's not simply that they give notice and show up two weeks later. That length of time could be as long as three or six months. That's a very different environment to work in. But I think in terms of our approach to the skills and the type of people we're looking for, that's pretty consistent around the globe. I've I've been working, as I told, as I've been telling our audience with the National Economist Club for the past number of years, and we had a we had a speaker on apprenticeships, and it, it got a lot of interest. The, the topic of apprenticeships is clearly rising in public discussion. So let me ask: Does GGB have any apprenticeship programs? If so, have you found these apprenticeship programs to be a, a worthwhile investment? So I love apprenticeships. Let me just say that. The, the fact that we have people that are learning and doing, I think that's really the way that adults integrate new skills. It's the way that they learn. So I think apprentice, apprenticeships are great, whether you start in high school or you do it for adults that want to get into a new area. We get really creative in this area. So I would say apprenticeships, could apply to skilled trades. We also have internships. We have co-ops. We like to promote from within. And so whether it's a job, let's just say a supervisory job that's open, if there's someone within our facility that wants that job and needs to learn some skills in order to be successful in it, we want to work with them because they're already part of our family. They're already one of our colleagues. And many of our supervisors in that particular 
example come from our workforce. So it just kind of builds this culture that is very positive. In Germany and Slovakia, we have integrated a work-study program that started as early as 14, which is crazy in the U.S. because we have laws that prohibit that, which I think is something we should look at. In France, we um, have the same thing, but it's a little bit older with university students. So in the U.S., we do have apprenticeships, but it's usually with adults, usually with folks that have worked with us for some number of years and have decided that they want to take on a greater challenge, such as machining or, you know, whatever that apprenticeship um, where we have the opening, we're willing to work with them. And some of those have worked out really, really well. Beyond apprenticeship programs, I'm going to ask you to just briefly describe a a few of uh, GGB's major workforce development efforts. Well, uh, we we do a lot of learning opportunities. I I don't like the word training, so I appreciate workforce development (laughs) is a word. We focus a lot on culture. We focus on self-awareness and self-management, which is a little bit different for manufacturing, right? And basically being mindful and building connections because in this very disruptive world that we're living in, those are the things that are really going to help us succeed. So I can name off a few of what we call these different workshops we have, um, we have we have what's called building our workplace, which every employee comes through and works. It's a three-day workshop, and it helps understand the culture and the expectations that we have of new employees. And it doesn't matter if it's someone that's, you know, their first job on the shop floor or, frankly, it's a business leader for one of our business units. Everyone goes through it, and it's a great way just to introduce our company culture. We have quite a few different leadership workshops. Uh, some of them we call Transformational Leadership Challenge. Some are Transformational Change, just to help people understand that it's really important that they work on themselves so that they can better connect with the teammates that you know they're working with. Uh, we have This is Empro, which is our parent company. It's a video series that's led by our executive staff and our CEO and the division presidents. And we just have constant opportunities to learn. We also have the traditional tuition reimbursement for classes or degrees, and we have a library of learning tools. And we do a lot of interactive workshops where people sit together and work through different practices and tools, and it really helps them develop um, different tools on how to better connect and better work with teams. We like to align our goals and challenge teams to find the best answers versus dictating specifically how to get something done, and developing this increased capacity for every colleague, every person working in our team. We just want them to start wherever they are and to learn and grow, because I think the learning and growing is the secret to being able to be successful in this changing times and complex world that we're in. You touched on it earlier, but I I want to focus once again on the much-discussed issue of soft skills, which include social skills, leadership skills, and just general mature professional workplace behavior. Let me ask you, do you believe that there is a reason for concern about the issue of soft skills? Well, I would say that in today's disruptive environment and this fast-changing technologies, this human advantage is really the people connection whether it's empathy or the soft skills that you're referring to. 
and getting the best ideas to emerge from the collective group. So being able to connect and work with others in a meaningful way where you have a, what I would say, a growth mindset, where you're encouraging the best and not being defensive because the idea isn't yours is super important. Uh, we're trying to you know, solve complex problems, and it requires playing well with others <laughs> in a way that builds yeah. trust and authentic feedback and communication. And if everyone's kind of defensive in their corner because their idea isn't the one that's adopted, it's not going to work out well. I mean, we're just not going to win. Um, so while we, you know, individual contributors are still needed, the innovation that comes from this interaction or collision of ideas between people, I think is really what's game-changing. So I think soft skills are super important. In the final two questions, I'm going to ask about things that center around the education workplace nexus. First, let, let's focus for a second on new entrants. What are you finding out about recent graduates who come to GGP for their first job? Is the transition from school to work relatively smooth, or are they in general prepared for the challenges of their first job? So it's hard to generalize. Uh, we see both. We see candidates that thrive, and we see those that falter. Um, very rarely do they fail because of technical skill inability. Um, usually we screen pretty well for that, and I think we recruit from some top universities. It's usually those soft skills that you were mentioning. And I would say maybe the distinguisher would be, does the candidate have a growth mindset? And by growth mindset, are they, do they see challenges that help them grow? And they like to try new things. And they see feedback as constructive. And that they see that effort and attitude are a positive, you know, being positive in their approach to things and learning from others. Those folks tend to do well. Um, actually, for us, some of them have left and joined startups. And frankly, some of them do so well, they decide they want to go somewhere else, and then they want to come back, which I love, by the way. Um, that's versus, I would say, the fixed mindset, which often falter. And those are folks that maybe give up when they're frustrated or they're fear, fearful of failure. They like to stick with what they know as opposed to going out and learning something. They don't like to be challenged. They like to go at it alone. So we're really looking for those folks that want to work well with others and are looking, you know, to be curious um, and work in a different way. And many of our most successful new hires were interns or co-ops that worked with us for a summer and felt really good about it and then are interested in coming back. And my favorite, frankly, was a student recently who came to us from MIT and she said, hey, I have a sorority sister who works in my, who's part of my engineering sorority you guys need to meet her, and she needs to work here. And she did end up working here. So those hmm. type of references for me are awesome. Final question. I'm going to give you a scenario. If you were addressing, speaking to a room full of high school principals and university presidents, what would you tell them as far as preparing students for the evolving manufacturing workplace? So it's probably a culmination of what I've just talked about, but I would say encourage your students to stay curious and developing a learning mindset for life. I think that's super important. Uh, develop an awareness of when they are rigid in their mindset or their thinking and their viewpoint, because that's not going to serve them very well. 
teach them to learn a, to use a different lens or reframe situations so that it's not just black or white because we don't have black or white answers to the complex problems we're trying to solve. And then I would encourage them to question the story that they're telling themselves. So if they have a particular point of view, maybe they need to shift that or just question if their point of view is all-inclusive or is there another point of view. And the last thing, which probably, again, is a little different for um, a manufacturing-type discussion, but I would encourage every student to learn meditation and to be able to quiet their inner thoughts and not spend so much time in their head and just Practicing meditation for five or ten minutes every day will make a difference in the quality of of what they are able to uh, contribute to any situation. Dr. Susan Sweeney, you gave us your time. You gave us your expertise and your experience. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Cliff. It was a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. That's all for today, folks. Join us for next week's episode, when my guest will be Akror Barua. He is a noted expert on the Indian economy at Deloitte. We will talk about the transitions and the tumult in that very large, very important economy. Be with us next week when I talk to Dr. Barua. should be a very, very interesting interview. Until then... This is Cliff Waldman reminding you that manufacturing matters, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.